Welcome to the Unmachine Yourself podcast, facilitated by Hatch and hosted by me, Rowanne van Forst. I'm a futures anthropologist, and in this series, I get to speak with CEOs, managers of big corporates, thought leaders about the future of work and leadership. Have fun. American-born director Jennifer Lyon-Bell is the founder of independent erotic cinema company Blue Artichoke Films. She creates erotic fiction films, documentaries, and experimental films which show sexuality in an emotionally realistic way. Her award-winning films screen at international festivals, cinemas, and museums in America, Europe, Japan, and South America. Her unique realism style has led her to be invited to show them at conferences and panels in sexology, feminism, and documentary filmmaking. Her trilogy, Silver Shoes, was shortlisted for the Netherlands Scientific Institute of Sexologists Sex and Media Prize, and that was the only erotic film to ever be nominated. Her short film, Headshot, was the first erotic film to be shown on the television program Zomergasten, invited by philosopher Simone van Saarloos to be discussed in front of a half million viewers. Second Date is her first virtual reality film, and that was nominated for a Best VR Experiences Award at its world premiere. So in addition to filmmaker, Jennifer also curates erotic-themed film programs and exhibitions for museums, art institutions, and festivals. She teaches erotic film guest lectures at the Dutch Film Academy and gave the closing keynote, Empathy and Pornography, at the first Sex and the Cinema Film Studies Conference at the University of Kent. She writes for the academic journal Film Studies and various art publications and teaches a very popular workshop, From Fantasy to Film, Design Your Own Erotic Movie Worldwide. Well, we have so much to talk about. Thank you for coming here, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, welcome in the um, creative space that we rented for today. So um, this is the atelier of designer Ambasha Blanken. And um, we thought it would be good if we're talking about creativity, then this is the place to shot this um, recording, right? I love it. I love it. Great choice. Such beautiful colors. Yeah, it's nice. Hey, so we're going to talk a lot, a lot about future. What is future leadership? What should it look like? How do you run a company? Um, but I always start with the same question, and that's actually about the past, namely, what did you want to become when you were a kid? And I'm assuming perhaps it wasn't a porno or erotic filmmaker, but maybe <laughs> maybe that's what you wanted. <laughs> no, no, that would never have crossed my mind. I wanted two things. I wanted to be a ballet dancer because I was very interested in dance when I was younger and, and still am today. Um, and I wanted to be an FBI agent. Wow. So I really loved the idea of solving mysteries and solving problems and talking to people to get to the bottom of things. Well, let's talk later about whether or not that still resonates in the job that you now have. Yeah, I mm. think it does. Yeah, yeah, I can see I, I can see a cross link there. So what, when when was the moment, perhaps you can briefly take us there, that you decided to go for erotic filmmaking then? So I've always been interested in sexuality. Um, and I in high school, I was the person that people would come to for advice, which I really enjoyed making people feel comfortable and trying to get them information. And um, then when I was in college and I discovered sex positive feminism and learned about porn and started seeing porn, I thought this is where I belong and I bet I could do something here. And yet I didn't because when I graduated from Harvard, 
um, they don't really offer as one of the choices of careers for the future to start directing porn. So I had a first career in advertising, but it was always in the back of my mind, wow, I really, I think I could make a porn that I would like better. Um, and then over the years, uh, I finally found the opportunity when I was moving to Amsterdam and I would have to give up my um, advertising um, strategy. I did um, strategic consulting. I was going to have to give it up anyway and rebuild it. I thought, well, maybe now's my moment. So I applied to the University of Amsterdam and told them the truth. Like, look, I'm going to I'm going to direct erotic film and I would love to come learn from a film theory perspective what for me is a wonderful blueprint of how do you make sexy things because at that point I was clear on what I didn't want to do than what I did want to do and I think it's really important to come from a positive perspective and what did you not want to do I couldn't relate to the aesthetics of the porn that I saw I felt like it was outdated it had an idea of women's women's beauty that was was pretty specific and had nothing to do with the way I looked or my As friends looked. the very big boobs. Big boobs, a certain blonde. kind of hair, um, you know, thin. Very um, long nails. Very long <laughs> nails. And I don't think there's anything wrong with those things, but, you know, the people that in my life I think are the most sexy don't just don't look anything like that. Um, so that was an issue. I felt like uh, in a lot of porn, it just wasn't realistic to women's sexuality. Like when there's cunnilingus, it just doesn't go on for very long at all. Um, you know, what turns a woman on in porn isn't really related to what turns me on or what turns my friends on. So um, I felt like I could make something that's more realistic to my life. And in so doing, I think it would be hotter. It would be hotter for me. And my hope was that there would be other people out there um, who would have the same reaction. And to be honest, I originally thought, oh, it'll be for women. I'm a woman. I, I'm not reacting as a woman to the images that I'm seeing. Um, that's what I'm going to fix. But what I quickly discovered once I started actually making the films is people of all genders were really into it because they weren't being spoken to by the porn that was available. So I'm really heartened by that because I think that porn can make change. And if more people, more kinds of people are watching it, um, that can, you know, change attitudes around sexuality for everybody. And so I'm, I'm really glad that it worked out for all genders. Did you, in the beginning, because you're now very experienced in talking about it, et cetera, but did you in the beginning have some hesitation? Was there any kind of shame or a taboo still surrounding this topic for you or to make the decision to actually go from Harvard into porn making? Well, that's a great question. I mean, it's kind of two answers. On one hand, I really feel like I was born to do this. It's a calling, you know? I, I There's nothing else I'd rather be doing. And in that sense, I have no shame and I'm so proud of what I do and I, I want to bring it to the world and be a missionary. On the other hand, you know, as, as positive, as sex positive as my upbringing was, you know, we live in a pretty sex negative society and that really sticks in you. So there've been lots of times when I was ashamed. Like I used to visit uh, in the pipe, the um, there was a video store that rented uh, DVDs of, of sex movies and I would use them to write my master's thesis, which I ended up writing about sympathy and empathy and pornography. And so I would rent this like stack of DVDs and I would bring it to the front desk and I was mortified every time. And, you know, I would make excuses like, oh, this is for my thesis. It's not for me. I mean, who cares? But it was hard to let go of the embarrassment of being a person and in particular a woman shaped person who, you know, was 
was going to get, who was so interested that they would get a stack of DVDs. Yeah. So I, I want to discuss a couple of things about Blue Artichoke films. So one is the things that you already kind of mentioned yourself, um, the shape of bodies, um, but also the heterosexuality, basically, right? We kind of implicitly yeah. said that. So can you can you explain to our listeners who don't know Blue Artichoke films, can you explain how your movies look like, for example? What are the type of actors that you invite in? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I'll audition anyone who would like to audition for me. If they feel good about their body, I think that's great. Um, and so, yeah, we've had, you know, people with cellulite, we've had people of all different races, we've had, I would love to have even more diversity than we have now, but especially compared to what was available when we started, It was pretty shocking for people um, how different it looked from traditional porn. Um, the bodies are real. Like the movies that I've seen, um, the bodies are look realistic, still attractive because they seem to be having a good time, which makes it really sexy. And but, I think they're all really, you know, hot people. Like, yeah, but not, not only do they think they're good looking, but yeah. I think they're super attractive people, but that's not in a standard cookie cutter no, kind of way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's cool. Like I'd rather watch a variety of people. Um, and really what I'm casting for is not about people's bodies per se, but about their personality and their, their charisma and the way they are and the way they are with each other. Because in the end, that is most of what you see and it really flavors how you experience what you're looking at. So that's really important for me. Um, so yeah, there's, I, I'm aiming for, you know, as much diversity as I can get with, with the, uh, performers that I'm working with. And then I want the sex to be diverse. So, I mean, we don't say that, uh, at Blue Artichoke Films that it's a straight company or a queer company or whatever. We just have a different approach to sex. And that's, Um, that sex is what you make it and that there are certain activities that you would see in a mainstream porn film um, that usually happen in a certain order. And those are all fun things to do, but they're not the only things in the world. And that's not the only order that you can have it in. So I'm really interested in both because I think it's hot, but also sending a message about sexuality to people to show you know, you can craft exactly what you want out of a sexual experience with your partner if you keep those lines of communication open and know that you can't do it wrong. There's no such thing as doing sex wrong. But for this, I think it might be good for listeners to understand also that typically in the porn industry, there are certain rules. Like for one, uh, you're supposed to have an orgasm, you're supposed to have sex with penetration, right? That's yeah. that's pretty standard. Yeah. And then when we had a discussion before about your work and the type in the, the way in which you run your company, you said, um, for example, you were using the movie Second Date and where you see it's really fun. You can see people on a second date. So you sent them out for a first date. You didn't yeah. record any of that. And then we, as viewers, see their second date. It's in somebody's house. It's really nice. It seems really cozy. And they start having sex, but it looks really real and intimate. And you said, oh, but they if they wouldn't have had sex, that would also be okay. Like if they wouldn't have had any penetration or, or orgasms, that would also be okay, right? Absolutely. And that is a change from the production model of standard porn. And standard porn, um, 
you know, you decide in advance what acts are going to happen, but it's a pretty standard set of acts usually in mainstream porn. Um, and then you even decide what angles you'll be filming it from. So the performers know exactly what's going to happen. Um, and then you're on a time schedule, you know, you really gotta, you gotta finish on time and, and there needs to be, um, you know, a female orgasm or multiple female orgasms and there needs to be an external male ejaculation. And those are just built external into because then it's visible, right? Because it's yeah. visible. It's yeah. proof. And that's just built into the contract. That's the way it works. Whereas, I mean, I didn't know anybody who was making alternative porn when I started, I completely had to make it up for myself. And, um, yeah, so I came up with things like, you know, let's, Let's pay and take the time for more time on the set, more time with the equipment so that we don't need to rush people. We can take more breaks. We can change our minds. We can replan things. Um, you know, there. I would like to build into it some ability for the performers to improvise in the moment and do what feels right for them. And the downside is you can't light it perfectly when you don't know where exactly they're going to be, but I want it lit really well. So we go to a lot of trouble to do like the base, the best possible lighting situation, given how important this improvisation is to me. Cause I just feel like if, if they can't let go and like forget about the cameras and forget about where the lights are and just do what comes naturally, we're going to lose that that spark. And so we do have a very thorough conversation up front about what they would like to do sexually, what acts are like on or off the menu, what the vibe should be of the scene, like what's okay with them and not okay with them in terms of like how they'd like to be treated by the other person or the way they'd like to be talked to in bed. Um, but then I give them quite a lot of freedom. And yeah, it ends up being harder for the crew to... Uh, to work with that. Um, and it, the edit is much harder afterwards, but it's so worth it. Because you don't even turn off the cameras, right? Like it's just one big shot. It's one big shot. And that whole shot doesn't stay. Like the editing is quite the creative puzzle to figure out how can you with integrity preserve the feeling and the basic stuff that went on while taking out the things that don't serve that because the camera wasn't really meant to be running at that time or, you know, you got somebody from a funny angle or whatever. You know, my job is to pick exactly the shots and put them in exactly the order that will do justice to the way that they were feeling on that day. Because to me, great porn is not about literally what happened, but it's about how did it feel and how did those feelings change over the course of however many minutes or hours this activity is taking place. And that's my job, you know, as an artist to, to make those choices. I, I want to know a bit more about your leadership style, but I, I want to make clear that I understand, right? Because there's, there's a phrase called alternative porn and then there's feminist porn. Hmm. Is it the same? Is it different? And why is it Why would your porn be feminist, do you think? Yeah, um, I think feminist porn, that's a great question, by the way. I think feminist porn um, has a couple of qualities and my films totally fit in this structure, which is, um, it, you know, it's created by somebody who's a woman or somebody who's not a cishet man. Um, and it's expressing something about our desire and our fantasies in doing that, um, that the message that it's sending about sexuality and gender is like uh, a feminist message and not something that's going to, you know, hurt relationships between genders or attitudes towards sexuality in real life. And that lastly, the way that the set is run is 
you know, fair and responsible for all of the people involved, the the crew, but especially the cast and taking care of them in whatever way that means. And that's both when the camera's running and when the camera's not running. So absolutely my work is feminist. I think alternative porn um, is a bit wider. That points to a category of any kind of porn that differs in aesthetics or in the kind of sex shown um, than mainstream pornography. And again, mainstream pornography doesn't actually mean one thing. There's so many kinds of, you know, there's big budget studio porn, there's, you know, porn made in Eastern Europe, gonzo style. I mean, they're, they're all so, so different. You can't even compare them. But um, if you're doing something different than all of those, um, you might call it alternative porn. And a lot of alternative porn is ethical porn and feminist porn, although strictly speaking, it wouldn't have to be. And when we had our conversation over the phone before, uh, you explained to me that, you know, if we talk about ethical porn or treating your people or your actors in a right way, it was such an eye opener for me because you were basically saying, I provide healthy food. It's got to be nice and warm on the set, etc. Like very nice things, but also very basic things, right? That you would offer any employee for any company. And so the idea that this is apparently not standard everywhere in the in the porn sector is probably new for a lot of people as well. Yeah. I mean, part of that is just filmmaking is hard. Like when you're shooting in a location yeah. that's not your home, you know, and we do that a lot. You know, we're not shooting in a bed. We're shooting like in some other location some cool that spot. I've rented. Yeah. yeah. Um you know, it is hard and, you know, uh, you know, there's no kitchen necessarily there. So you have to make arrangements for everything. That's a film problem as well. That film, you know, it's, it's hard to make sure that everybody's um, given a really high standard of care on a regular film set. But in porn, it's just so important because people's bodies are their craft. And, you know, as much as possible, we want them to feel comfortable and happy. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? And that also has to do with a completely different approach to uh, filmmaking that I have and I know some other people share, which is, you know, I really want a great end product. I want a beautiful movie. I want a hot movie, but it is more important to have a good process. It is more important that the cast and crew feel like they came out of the experience better than they went in. And that's a, that's a, pretty big sea change in how to approach a creative work, particularly a creative work that's, you know, fundamentally, you know, a business. Um, how do you do it? Um, I mean, part of it is the things that we talked about, like taking care of people on set. A part of it is a process of letting go. Like, you know, I can't control everything. And I think that, you know, whenever you're working with actors in any kind of film, this is true, but, you know, as a director, you can you can only work with what they're willing to give you. And it's an honor that they're willing to give me anything. So it's my job to create a safe space so that, you know, they can be comfortable and give what they're comfortable giving. If I may add to the mix, I'm just thinking, so do correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I also can imagine that it has to do with refocusing from the end goal towards the now, because if you're, you know, if you're in the process of filmmaking and you see that something goes off or somebody's not really feeling it, you have to be able to intervene there instead of being with your mind so involved with the end product, like, oh, this is going to be a super wonderful scene that you 
perhaps don't notice it so much. Is that Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think by having this, you know, approach where I have faith that it's going to work out, that even if things go wrong, as long as I can stay present and stay present with my crew so that we can be flexible and change gears, um, as long as I can keep that faith, it's going to be great. And it's going to be better than I originally envisioned. Cause I can have an idea of like, Oh, what the set's going to be like, but maybe it's going to pour rain that day. And that has happened before, or, you know, maybe somebody's ankle hurts. So they can't do a thing that we talked about, you know, but somehow if you come in with the right attitude and you make sure you only hire crew that are willing to take this attitude, um, you end up with something better than you planned. And I think that's because, you know, I'm really careful with who I cast and with who I let on the crew. Even one person who's like weird or bad would pollute the entire experience. But if we're truly a team and we feel positive about everything, we're going to come out with something great. So do you have pre-conversations with each member of a crew? Oh my God, absolutely. Like I'm super picky, minimum one conversation and usually a number. And then I re-pick the crew again when we get together for a particular um, project and make sure that they feel good about that project and feel good about the mood, you know, the message that we're sending with that particular film. So yeah, I'm super And you picky. explicate that, like, this is the mood that I want to have. Totally. Is, yeah. 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 I'm very specific. And I'm also specific with how I would like us to behave as a team with the actors. Um, I do something that I don't know that all of the uh, alternative and ethical porn professionals do, but I, I actually prefer to not overload the performers with too much information. So I might have ideas of certain shots I want and certain light that I want and certain things that I'm hoping they'll do versus not do. But I think it can be quite stressful for performers, even seasoned porn performers to be overloaded with all that. So that's one of the things that I meet with my cast and crew, either in real life or virtually about in advance, which is to explain why that that's so important to me and why, um, why if they have a concern, it would be better to talk to me away from the performers so that we don't stress them out. Yeah. I'm thinking, how do you, because another thing is thinking in a very creative way. So this is a way of creative thinking, but another is the storyline. So for example, for people who don't know your films, a headshot only shows the face of a man who is slowly reaching an orgasm eventually, right? So it doesn't show any body parts so much. It's just seeing the face of the man who's really enjoying a time. Um, how did you come up with that idea? Or how do you come up with other ideas? How do you invoke your own creativity there? I mean, my ideas come from everywhere. That film, Headshot, I was inspired by two other movies. One was the Andy Warhol movie, Blowjob. And the other was a Wayne Wang movie called The Center of the World, in which... Peter Sarsgaard has an erotic experience, but again, you just see his face. You never actually see what's happening. And in both cases, I had a huge, both emotional and physical reaction to basically being forced to empathize and sympathize with this character to kind of figure out what were they going through moment by moment. And I really wanted to see what that would be like to film that. So I started looking for the right person to star in it and I found an amazing person. Um, but other things, you know, some come from my real life. Silver Shoes um, has three stories. And one of them is about um, a man who comes to a dinner party or a brunch party 
and he seems gay. He's wearing like shiny leggings and he just seems gay. And a few of the things he says lead you to believe he's gay. And so the main female character, you know, really relaxes around him and relaxes into it because she feels comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And then we find out that she was wrong about all of it. You know, it was a mistake. And then what does that mean for their erotic connection? Because there is an erotic connection. It opens up an opportunity. It opens up an opportunity. But I felt like, hey, I have never seen this plot, you know, explored in porn. And it has happened not just to me, but to other people that I know. And as soon as I started telling potential crew members about it, like everyone was like, oh, my God. That's this has totally happened. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, so it's taking something from real life that I think is actually quite common, but I've just never seen it explored in porn, and it has a lot of erotic potential for me. Um, and then the two more recent movies, Adorn and Wildcard, which just um, came out, um, I, I was really interested in um, this idea of creating a game where people wouldn't be able to do sex in the standard order because it was against the rules of the game. So Adorn has one game, which is you can only touch the other person over or under clothing that you put on them. So they start out naked and they only can start getting hot and heavy once the clothes are really coming on. And um, in the other one, they choose these different cards and each card has a non-sexual body part. So they're playing with elbows, they're playing with eyelashes, they're playing with like things that you would not normally see featured in and a movie. eroticizing but that, basically. Eroticizing that and also letting them be creative and letting them, you know, just show their personalities. Like, they kind of get goofy and then it gets more sexual. And um, so, I, yeah, I started with Adorn and it went so well. I was so happy with how hot it turned out. I mean, really, they were doing things that I have never seen in a porn movie. I was like, I've never seen that before. Uh, so they were surprising you. They were. I mean, I mean, again, it's like you come if you come in with an attitude that I have hired amazing people, something is going to happen that's great. You will be pleasantly surprised because the stuff they did in Adorn you know what was I, not I was not stuff I could have told them to do. No, you know what I like about when I hear you talk, I keep thinking you give a lot of autonomy away to the actors like yeah. it's it's also their process so together you make the movie I guess that's part of how you work right? it's quite collaborative yeah. yeah it's collaborative yeah with the crew but definitely with the cast um so not only are people who want to perform in a particular film of mine on board with whatever I think the idea is, but I'm willing to tweak the idea or change it. Like in uh, a different part of Silver Shoes, there's a scene between two women and I wanted it to be about playing with femininity and masculinity. And um, one of the performers, Leandra Dahl said, you know, I've got this thing, it's called a strapless strap-on, um, but it could be a really interesting thing to use in a scene that's about masculinity and femininity. And I said, yeah, it's called a fieldo. I said, yeah, let's use it. So you actually see in the movie Leandra's personal favorite toy. Um, and it's like, it's a highlight of the movie for sure. Everybody who sees it is like, what is that thing? But it's because, you know, Leandra really understood the concept and then is bringing herself to bear as well. Um, so that's yeah. been true in, in every movie, I think. People, the performers who I've wanted to work with have creatively contributed in in significant ways. You you kind of had to find your own way, I can imagine, because, you know, your field is pretty small, like the alternative feminist porn. So how did you, what did you have to learn most? Because you now sound like you know what you want, you know how you work, but I'm sure when you were new to the, to the show, to the field, you had to also learn things. So what did you have to learn most, do you think? 
I think the biggest challenge in creating alternative porn is to find your own balance between planning ahead, like choreography versus improvisation. Um, and that can also include, the planning ahead can also include like disruption. Like, you know, when are you willing to stop it, to cut it short and step in and make a change because you have a specific idea of how you want it to look versus letting it play out and seeing where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And compared to a lot of directors, um, I trust the flow and I'm willing to let go of certain images I had in my mind um, or certain activities in favor of that, you know, spontaneity and spark that I think can only come when you're willing to let those things go. And different crew members that I've worked with have encouraged me to try more of the other way. But in my first fiction movie, Matinee, we actually had tried it first before the version that, you know, you can see in the actual movie. We tried it planning out the sex scene more and I just did not like it. Like they're literally doing the exact same kind of things that they ended up doing in the real movie. But I just felt like I had I had snuffed the spark out a little bit um, by you know making them too aware of what was going on and what I wanted to see as opposed to what they wanted to do. Yeah. And so we ended up reshooting it, and I I really love the way it is now because they just seem super present. And and a different director would do it differently. Um, yeah, but I recognize it from interviews because sometimes if you run over the exact questions beforehand, it takes the spontaneity out of the actual conversation. Exactly. And I think the balance is, you know, if you're interested in having an ethical set, which I absolutely am, you also can't leave too many surprises in the hands of the performers. They need the safety of knowing what's going to happen. So that's where all of that advanced planning comes in, that they feel like they're they're totally on board with each other about what's going to happen that day. Oh, for example, safer sex, you know, that's a big conversation ahead of time. What does performer A want to do? What does performer B want to do? Who is more conservative? We honor the more conservative person. You know, we'll get the brand of lube you want. We will, you know, whatever you want, we will make sure that it happens. Um, But then once they're on set, then they can relax a little bit. And, you know, these are not things, you know, when I started making erotic films, I knew two kinds of people. I knew advertising people, and I knew mainstream porn people, and I knew film people. And all three of those work processes just have nothing to do with what I'm doing. I mean, at that time I was preparing to make a fiction movie and I had a script. So when I said to the adult casting company, you know, would the rate be the same for shooting days as for rehearsal days? Because we need to rehearse the script. They were like, what? Like, you mean rehearsals? Are you high? Um, so yeah, finding finding a system that works for for me as an erotic director was really different than all these other production processes, both in the pre-production, in the production, and in the post-production. Well, you still work rather differently. I mean, also in kind of, for example, a lot of porn is free, but you're saying, well, in order to make ethical porn, you know, you do it in a different way, right? Yeah. So, you know, people on our set are paid fairly. Um, and yeah, that, co- and I also have a lot more post-production than probably most porn directors use because I really want a certain look. And because of my style of filming, it's much more of a craft putting it all together. And yeah, those people need to be paid. My editor needs to be paid. So um, I think it's really great that in the last five years, 
you know, related to the death of the mainstream porn industry. I mean, it's struggling almost to the point of falling apart now um, that, you know, alternative porn and ethical porn and feminist porn have always, since their existence, been pretty healthy. And now we're even more healthy. Um, But part of that has come with I think a a renewed interest in understanding where your media comes from, whether it's porn or, you know, uh, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever. Or Spotify. Or Spotify. And, you know, the rise of, um, of subscription streaming services of various kinds has made people realize like, okay, there might be a way to not pay a fortune, but to support artists. Yeah. Because with Blue Artichoke, it works like you have a membership, right? You can, you can become a, you can subscribe to having access to the full library? Well, right now we don't have a, a, a subscription function because we decided to focus on streaming and downloads instead okay. on individual films. So if you love all the films, you can get them all in one big streaming package or one yeah. big download package. But um, because streaming works well for people who like to look for, from their mobile phones mm. um, and who aren't you know worried about holding on to it, they want to have a one-time experience or whatever, enjoy it and then let it go and not have it clogging up their space. Um, streaming is fantastic. And then downloads are for people who, um, you know, are willing to take some time and download the highest quality version. It's important for them to keep it on their computer and be able to refer back to it. Um, and they want to watch it on like a computer or a TV rather than on their mobile phone for the most part. So those, those have turned out to be really different markets. And so catering to both of those people made the most sense now. And down the line, I I might say for streaming, for example, okay, we'll create a subscription website. But at this point, there weren't so many films that that made sense. And in addition, I think it's worth saying, you know, the, the porn industry has run on subscriptions. That's that's both in mainstream land and in alternative land. That's the, the gold standard. Um, but there's a tremendous pressure for... Uh, for new material when you do that. I mean, you're expected to have a new piece of material every four weeks. And, you know, that's easy if you're making, you know, cheap and easy porn. But if you're doing the kind of porn I make, it's just not manageable. No, so, it's more like a boutique style porn, I yeah, call your porn. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's boutique. It's like handcrafted. Yeah. And I'm not willing to push things out the door. So at this time, it didn't make sense um, to to put in, put in place a subscription system where I would have pressure to create in a very different way than the way I do now. And I think also living in Amsterdam might be different if I was living in LA or Berlin and I had access to a much bigger pool of alternative performers yeah. who I really liked. And there are performers that I like in the Netherlands, but it's just not, the Netherlands is, you know, it's a hub. It's not a creation city. Um, and as a result, that infrastructure is is just not there. Yeah. Just um, as a last question, I mean, I see the field of sex or porn changing really quickly. Like there's more women in sex tech, for example. There's there's more feminist filmmakers, more and more. What do you, what's your hope for the future? What do you think is the role of um, makers in this field? Or should be the role? Hmm. I mean, first of all, I love the diversity that's coming into play with people who are making movies. You know, more women, more people of color, more trans people, more people with different body shapes making the films and being in charge. I think that that, that variety and point of view really comes out in the material. And people love it. It's not like just a 
you know, an activist perspective that has nothing to do with the hotness of the movies. These are freaking hot movies. Um, and I think that's great. And I think the other thing, you know, given the economy, given what the tube sites have done to, to kill the porn industry, I've been forced for Blue Artichoke Films to think about what are we offering people? Are we offering just the handcrafted films or are we offering more? And I think we're offering more. And I think that a number of these alternative porn companies are approaching that in different ways. But, you know, when we were building the Blue Artichoke Films web platform, I was thinking people love coming to our events. Like I have these events where I show all different kinds of erotic films and then people go to the bar afterwards and they have a drink together. What'd you think about that? What'd you think about that? Or meeting new people. And there's this like pollination, this cross pollination that happens. And it's also an easy way for people to take, you know, dip one little toe into a world where there's this, this completely different way of thinking about sexuality where you don't need to be ashamed, where you don't need to worry about doing it wrong where it, you know it doesn't matter so much what you look like as long as your heart is in it and i in creating the website you know we tried to embrace that like okay we're going to have events on there and a blog and you know all of the stuff so that people can dip a toe in and i think that um in many ways that is the the future of porn is thinking about how to um how to help nurture people's entire sexual lives and not just their desire to see a movie because seeing a movie is really powerful and is really, you know, hot and fun. Exciting. Yeah. But that it can be in a context. So for Blue Artichoke Films, that the context we've put it in is these real life experiences of being exposed to new things and having dialogue around it, which people find really fun. And then other filmmakers are doing other things. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And to all of you listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Unmachine Yourself podcast. Do not worry, we will put the link to Jennifer's films in the show notes. And if you found this story inspiring, then please do share it with your own network and get the ripple effect going because we need not just more future-proof leaders and organizations, but also more sex positivity and body positivity. You'd also make us really happy with a good review in iTunes simply because that makes this podcast easier to find for new listeners. Until next time.